like that, the final hour is here on this Monday edition of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. You can find us at outkick.com, also at YouTube. Search out Outkick. We hope you'll subscribe. And if you already have done that, if you're watching live right now, hit the like button. Share it as well. We appreciate that. You can find all the great shows across the network right here at the Outkick channel. And we are live each and every day on this great radio partner starting at 3 o'clock Eastern each afternoon. Chad, we've got a series. I don't know if I'm stunned that it's 1-1. I thought it would be 2-0. I thought Miami would win a game. So they did win a game. So I'm not shocked. But it's the way they went about. They, they had a big lead early last night in game two. They give that up. And then Denver storms out to a bigger lead in the second quarter, only to lead by six at halftime. Then Miami has a great run to begin the fourth, and then they hold on when the next surge came from the Nuggets late in the game. It was a fast-paced three minutes to end that game. And when they missed the shot, when Murray missed the three for the tie, I think, man, I would love to go to overtime. I'd love to see this. I'd love to see this game in overtime based on the way both teams were playing down the stretch. Yeah, it was an 11-point Nuggets lead at the end of the third quarter. Duncan Robinson was huge. Oh, he was awesome. Had eight quick points to start the fourth quarter. Then it was a two-point game at that point. And then kind of back and forth, and the Nuggets had a chance late. I, I just think that it was what was necessary for this to be a nice long series. Nuggets' first home loss this entire playoffs was, was yeah, last right. night. And the Heat found a way to change their plan a little bit. I don't know that it threw the Nuggets off. I think one big factor we haven't talked about yet is the Heat shot almost 50% from three. They're miserable in game one from three. They chucked a ton of threes in game two, and they hit a bunch of them. And sometimes the game is just that simple. They also decided defensively to not swarm Nikola Jokic and try to get him to get rid of the ball. They played it a little bit more straight up, which led to him scoring a lot more points, but the Heat winning it. But I'll also fall back and say it's easy to come back. The untrained eye, as as Eric Spolstra said, the untrained eye can easily say, well, this is the one reason they won is because of this move by Eric Spolstra defensively. I could then easily come back and say, yeah, that and they shot nearly 50% from three. And you've got Michael Malone postgame saying – we didn't play particularly hard on defense, and that's why they shot so, so well from three. Do you think Malone takes a timeout the next time that situation arises? Um, down three to draw up a play instead of what we saw, which was Murray trying to find someone, then deciding, oh, I've got three seconds left. We've got to get off a shot. It wasn't a terrible shot. It was a low percentage three, though, based on how he took that shot. But Spolstra is known for being a great defensive-minded head coach. And I thought that played into it a bit with what Malone did or didn't do, allowing his team to just play it through. And Spolster didn't foul. He didn't go with the automatic foul. They, they played it out the final 12 seconds. I, I think he takes a timeout next time. I don't mind it at all, though, with this matchup because, as you mentioned, Spolster is a great defensive-minded coach. I'd rather not give that great defensive-minded head coach a chance to set up defense and slow it down with a timeout. Man. I think because Jokic, of the way though, the Nuggets run offense, I think Murray just kind of freaked a little bit and didn't handle it that well. No well. one was moving. But the way the Nuggets play offense, I would take my chances. Just in general, he probably will call a timeout, given the result of this one. But I, I like a broken set offensively when it's a scramble situation. Oftentimes, that leads to a better look than a timeout and calling a play offensively. Either way, great coaching is taking place right now. Now, you've got great players on both sides. You know, you've got Jimmy Butler, who 
came alive last night. Jokic is always going to get his, and he's the best player I've watched this year. Um, and meanwhile, Spolster is a lifer, and the sporting world, especially here in the States, we're learning about Malone because he's not afraid to speak his mind. He'll be, he'll be rash. He'll be blunt. And I appreciate that about both coaches. I do too. And I just appreciate it. The bottom line is neither of these guys are scared. They don't coach scared. They don't manage their team scared. And they're not scared because unlike 90% of the NBA, they're not having to walk around on eggshells around their prima donna overpaid players. And that is who runs the NBA. It's a player's league. And those guys are the ones who can say snip, snip to any head coach or GM if they want. And we all know those star players across the league that have that power to do that. These are star coaches. Eric Spolstra especially, multiple championship winning coach. He has autonomy over that team with Pat Riley. And he's not getting fired if Jimmy Butler comes out and says, I don't like this guy, I don't want him. Well, Jimmy Butler's going to get traded. And they'll find a new player. Because Heat culture is greater than one star player. Same goes for Denver. They've got the best player on the planet in, in Jokic. Jokic can't get the coach fired. Because, A, he's not the type of player to do that, not the type of personality to try to pull that. And, B, because Michael Malone is a really good basketball coach who's in complete control of his team, and he is aligned with ownership and management, and they're not going to fire him based on the whimsy of one-star player. I love that about both of these teams. That is not how business is done across the NBA it is how business is done in both Denver and Miami, and I, for one, am very appreciative of that. And I think in, in large part, Pat Riley has a lot to do with that in Miami, with the culture there. We'll, we'll dive into sure. the culture of Denver uh, coming up. With and what was Pat Riley voice. known as? A bit, of, bit of a hard ass, but, a defensive-minded guy, tough, yeah. fair, also good with players. Mm -hmm. Players loved him, but he was tough with them, and he had tough teams, and he wanted to draft tough guys. That is heat culture. They're getting a lot of guys who are overlooked that fit what they want to do from a personality standpoint, and they roll with it, and it's been very successful. And that is Pat Riley. Chad, the, you mentioned strong coaches, starved fans in Denver. 47 years and a chance to attend an NBA Finals game. Uh, look, I hope that the Denver fans get what they deserve. 47 years, 3,787 regular season games that they've waded through. 29 playoff appearances to wish upon a star in some cases. In other cases, you were the team that just didn't live up to expectation. That happens. But, I mean, when you consider that in the NFL, you've got, what, 12 or 13, 11 or 12 organizations that have not won a Super Bowl in a league that's set up to be 500. Consider the wasteland that is the bottom tier of the NBA and how it must feel to be a fan of that specific franchise and be a diehard. Meanwhile... Uh, just to compare, the Vegas Golden Knights are in Game 2 tonight of the Stanley Cup Final. They've been in existence all of six seasons, playing for their second cup with a chance to win their first. And by and large, they're set up by the league to do that. Meanwhile, there is no fair way to set up the NBA based on the star power and the contracts that we see. So I'm on the side of the Denver Nuggets fan more than I am any individual coach or player I hope Denver pulls it off, and I think they will. What is the seminal moment in Nuggets history? I've got to say, up until now, it was Dikembe Mutombo on the ground, ball in both hands, crying after being the first ever eight seed to knock off a number one seed 
when the Nuggets in those navy blue uniforms beat the Seattle Supersonics, led by Sean Sean Kemp, Kemp, as a number one seed in Seattle. And in game five, this is back when it was five-game series in the first round, in a fifth and deciding game five, the Nuggets pulled off the upset. Detlef Shrimp didn't hit – he wasn't – on on point that night, Carmelo Anthony later on with the Nuggets. I mean, I can't think of one other big moment yeah. in Nuggets history. They've had some really high scoring team, uh, late eighties, early nineties. But that I think it was nineteen ninety four, the Kimbe Mutombo Nuggets team pulling off the upset of Seattle is is the biggest moment in Nuggets history. Now, Hutton, we got a chance to completely wash that away. We do. If it is Nikola Jokic on the ground in tears, holding the ball over his hand after winning an NBA title. So uh, you, you mentioned the, the moments in the playoff drought there and the, the first ever team, the eight seed to win a one. The longest playoff drought in the NFL is in New York with the Jets. And Chad, I, they are the favorite to be on hard knocks. They're the talk of the offseason with Aaron Rodgers going there. And there are only four franchises that qualify based on all these different rules that the NFL has put in place for HBO to have the ability to select your team. The Jets have lobbied to be on Hard Knocks more than they have. They're known for the season. What was it when... Uh, Rex Ryan? Oh, yeah, Rex Ryan was like, now go eat a GD Let, snack. Let's go, let's go eat a yeah. GD snack. Yeah. 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 Uh, meanwhile, now you've got Rodgers and all of the, the offseason storylines. So here are the rules for how, you, how they determine who's on and who's not. All you have to do is be able to point to one of these three factors and you're not qualified or you can't be told that you're on the show. Uh, if your organization has a first-year head coach in place, if your team has a playoff berth over the past two seasons, if you've been in the postseason at all, and if you have appeared on Hard Knocks in the last 10 years, you don't have to be obligated to do that. So, you know, the Broncos, they don't have to be on the show because they have a new head coach. But that's an obvious one that I think would be on the list of a wish list for HBO. Meanwhile, when you factor all the rules, the Jets, the Bears, the Saints, and the Commanders are the four teams that could be on the show. And to me, you just simply turn in the, the ticket and say, give me the Jets if you're HBO. It's got to be the Jets. Woody Johnson was open teams. to it a couple of years ago, and now he's, like, he's not saying one way or the other. Robert Sala isn't either. Although he's just like, I'd rather talk about OTAs right now than HBO coming in and putting cameras up. I think if I'm going in order of most interesting teams to be on Hard Knocks, it's Jets way up here. Yep. Then I'd go a ways down and go Commanders. Com- I'm with From you. an ownership standpoint, would be interesting. Then Bears, then Saints. That would be my ranking. And the Bears are a drop-off after well, the Commanders. And I put Bears, Saints kind of together. Yeah, yeah, and I think... In, I, level, in level of interest. I think the Commanders, too, the, the storyline of Eric Bieniemy as the offensive coordinator now, under the sh- out of the shadow of, of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, you want a head coaching job, you're the offensive wizard. I'm not saying you have to win 10 or 11 games. It doesn't have to be a top 10 offense. But with that quarterback crop, Eric Bieniemy is going to show us one way or the other with how he coaches this team. Meanwhile, in New York, not only are we following Rodgers, it is a put-up-or-shut-up proposition for Robert Sala. He's, he's a head coach for the New York Jets where the owner is known for getting rid of coaches way too soon instead of waiting too long. Not much patience when you think about the coaches that have been through there. And, and, and in large part for good reason. But considering all the moves that have been made and the defense that's returning and the one thing that you lacked was just solid quarterback play. 
The owner comes out and says after the season, we want a veteran quarterback. And they get the guy in Rodgers who comes out of his you know, darkness retreat in a cave and says, I saw the light and I'm in game green. I want to play for the New York Jets. It is now time for Robert Sala to win and win big. He needs to be the Matt LaFleur of 2023, taking over, taking over with Rodgers. And now it's Rodgers' offense with his offensive coordinator from Green Bay from that season with LaFleur, Nathaniel Hackett, paired with a defensive-minded head coach. If you're Robert Sala, going into this season, to me, would be fun yet uncomfortable. Uncomfortable because the knowledge that your entire fate as a head coach with the Jets rests with the guy that everyone wanted, you included, and that he is MVP-level Aaron Rodgers or close to it. And That's a difficult spot to be in when you're where he is now within the organization, not his first year there, and all of the expectation, riding that expectation into the season – Knowing that it, it all relies and you're in, on Aaron Rodgers. You're in the AFC. Pretty that, good you know quarterback what I mean? conference last I checked. Yeah, and the NFC, I mean, you should be in the NFC championship game. Same circumstance. I think the pressure is actually more in the NFC because Aaron Rodgers in the NFC with that Jets roster is Super Bowl or bust. MVP. I don't know that it's, it's Super Bowl or bust eventually. I don't know about this year, but they need to be a team that, that wins playoff uh, playoff game or games uh, for Robert Sala to keep his job. Romeo Dobbs doesn't care that Rodgers isn't doing his job in Green Bay. Uh, Standout rookie says that he doesn't see a big difference between Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. And this is why I've pointed to in years past, Chad, of this is not the time of year to pay attention to any of these headlines. Second year right now, Dobbs is going into a second year. Um, This is one of the dumbest things that I've heard, and it's also completely predictable, and here's why. Receivers have such a high opinion of themselves, most of them, that they truly believe the quarterback doesn't matter because they're so great. The guy's just throwing a football. That's all he's doing. As long as it's coming my way, I don't care. I've caught footballs from a lot of different quarterbacks going back to high school, and if they can deliver the ball to me, then it's fine, and I'll go up and catch it. It's also a standard response to not bury your current starter. So I don't get overly worked up about these statements. It happens every year with a new quarterback replacing a legend, wherever that may be, is that, you know, this guy has a little bit more zip on the ball than X quarterback who was here before. Or this guy can get the job done at the same level. It's them protecting their guy. I also think part of it is a little bit of naivete because they feel like they're fine no matter who the quarterback is. Well, They quickly... Receivers quickly learn that's not the case. I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, there are some interesting things, though, based on where it's coming from with Dobbs. Um, number one, Rodgers wasn't in attendance this time last year. And he is in New York. Yeah. And Dobbs and Watson, there was... They sub- wanted that time. Yes. Number two, yes, the team did... The offense did pick up a beat. They did play harder in that primetime game in Chicago, I believe where Rodgers went out right before halftime and Jordan Love came in and there was an offensive juice to them. I'm not saying that they were great. I'm simply saying you could tell that the team was playing harder for whatever reason you want to point to. And I also feel like everyone saw the writing on the wall and they knew what was going down and they were tired of the same charade year after year despite winning games. And last year they weren't winning games and they decided to cut the cord. And at some point, 
the receiver is going to back the guy that he's been practicing with <laughs> and that he was likely practicing with during the hand injury that Rodgers is going through too. He's not the same quarterback, not even close. They're going to miss Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. But I do buy into the young receivers saying, hey, the guy that didn't care to spend time with us is out, and the guy that we were practicing with at this time last year, he's now our guy. I find that a bit uh, – it's worth following just to see if they have early success. I don't think they will. If they have early success in September, that's a huge storyline, specifically between the rapport of love and the two receivers I'm mentioning. The, the mind of the wide receiver, especially the young wide receiver who hasn't played with a ton of quarterbacks yet, always falls back to, I mean, how hard is it to throw the ball to me? Just throw well, me the ball. Just chuck it up there. I'll go and get it. Throw it in my direction. Make sure I know when it's, when it's headed my way. Always it'll be fun. fifth-round pick. Fourth, yeah. fifth-round pick. I mean, great quarterbacks turn those guys into marquee players. Big moment players. Well, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. That's Yeah, that's true. He's had one NFL quarterback. The Packers and he, may not know that either. He showed up late, and Aaron Rodgers did not have his best season as a, as and a quarterback. And Rodgers was calling them out. And they got beat by the Detroit Lions at home with a playoff yep. spot on the line. So that's the one year he knows. Coming up. Maybe Chris, Jordan Love is that good. As that Aaron Rodgers, who knows? We'll find out. If he is, he's the next Aaron Rodgers, though, and Brett Favre. He's following that lineage. Be great luck for the Packers to go in that, in that order. Yeah. I watch them. Uh, Chris Marlowe joins us, play-by-play voice of the Denver Nuggets. What a run, and what a player in Nikola Jokic. Can't wait to break down the season and the series that now heads back to Miami as the Nuggets, playing in their first finals, look for their first NBA title. That's next on Hot Mike. Well, the top headlines today as we welcome you back. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. The Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat in a series tied one game apiece headed to Miami for game three on Wednesday night. The voice of the Denver Nuggets is Chris Marlowe, gold medalist, captain of the U.S. Olympic team for, the, uh, for volleyball back in 84. Pleasure to have you on, Chris. And, uh, man, what a season you've been behind the mic for and a, a storyline that's playing out right now in a championship series. Well, it's been a terrific year. Uh, it's not done yet, uh, but the Nuggets able to win the West regular season, get into the playoffs. They've had three impressive wins over three pretty good opponents, and now they're in it up to right about here with the Miami Heat, uh, tied 1-1 in the series. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how these next few games pan out. Jokic is, is all of the talk. And I know he's a back-to-back MVP, not this season, but the previous two. And I still feel like, Chris, we are beginning to learn more about Jokic than we ever have based on the, the platform that the Nuggets have reached finally. Uh, something that I'm sure you've seen firsthand for years. I think the vast majority of the common basketball fan... Uh, we're seeing Jokic on a nightly basis for the first time. What has impressed you most about the way he has progressed through his career to this point? Well, the first thing I would say, I think they misnicknamed Kristaps Porzingis when he came into the league, naming him the unicorn. It's really Nikola Jokic. There's never been a center or a player like uh, Jokic and, and, and a guy that can do the things that he can do. He's seven feet. He's 265 pounds. He dribbles the ball up the court. He's a a passing fancy, as good as Magic or Bird on their best days. He can score. He can shoot threes. 
He's really progressed this year, I think, in terms of leadership. Uh, prior to the last couple of seasons, his English was progressing, but now, you know, he's able to uh, communicate uh, on a more regular basis. And he has just been a godsend to the Denver Nuggets. You know, 41st overall pick, you usually don't get a two-time MVP. So he's the, you know, he's the key for the Denver Nuggets. As he goes, the team goes. Uh, he had, what, 40, 41 the other night. But uh, the team effort was not there. And I think uh, that's what Miami took advantage of. They came out, they played with more force, and thus they got the win. And what a luxury to find that guy with the 41st overall pick, as you, as you mentioned, Chris. The roster construction around Jokic as the star uh, with draft picks, with bringing guys in from the outside, that's the one thing you always hear about the Nuggets and their opponents that play them is, I think LeBron James even said it, the roster is so perfectly constructed around Jokic with that team and what they need. How would you define how that team has been constructed? Well, obviously it starts with Jokic, but putting the pieces around him, drafting Jamal Murray, uh, who has turned out to be an outstanding player, should have been an all-star. If he hadn't a tore up his knee, probably would be a three-time all-star by now. They drafted Michael Porter Jr., who had back injuries and back issues, so he fell to 14th, and then all of a sudden they end up uh, with him. They traded for Aaron Gordon. They needed a strong power forward that could really uh, uh, do a number of things that were needed. And this season, uh, with Calvin Booth uh, taking over, he, he knew that the Nuggets needed more defense. They needed more length. He went out and got uh, traded for Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Ish Smith got them from Washington for Will Barton and Monte Morris. Uh, a great defensive player, excellent shooter, championship experience. Uh, they signed Bruce Brown, who's got to be the biggest bargain in the in the NBA. A sixth man who comes off the bench, can play four positions. He makes $6.5 million a year, and he has been outstanding in the playoffs. Uh, they also drafted Christian Brown, a kid from, uh, from, uh, uh, from Kansas. Who won, won an NCAA championship a year ago, and now he's playing for another championship. There's, I think there's only four guys in NBA history have ever done that. So I, I give a lot of credit to Calvin Booth and his assistant Tommy Balsettis and Michael Malone for figuring out what they needed after the last couple of seasons with Murray and, uh, and, uh, and Porter coming back, what they needed to do to construct the roster, and they've done it beautifully. And I'm pretty sure Magic Johnson, who you mentioned, was one of those players to go straight from – NCAA title at Michigan yep. State to NBA championship in his rookie year with the Lakers. Chris Marlowe, the play-by-play voice at Denver Nuggets, is our guest on Hot Mike. Um, Michael Malone is a guy I respect, and I respect him a lot more when after game two of the NBA Finals, he comes into a press conference and calls out the effort of his team. Mm-hmm. You, you don't see that much from NBA coaches across the league, and I think a big part of it is a lot of them aren't that secure in their job to not go out and call out players on their own team because, Chris, as you know, players run this league. And if the right star player wants you out, you're out. That certainly doesn't seem to be the case with Michael Malone. What did you make of, of what he said post game last night? Well, before I get to that, I just say that Michael Malone has the luxury of the two best players on the team. I think he's the cat's meow, to use an older uh, phrase, uh, he loves Jokic, uh, Malone. Their relationship is great. Uh, he gets along great with Murray. Uh, he's a very demanding coach. I, I, I don't think all kinds of players can play for him. Uh, he's he's tough. He's gruff. He's got a great sense of humor. 
always prepared, has a terrific staff, and he's not afraid. He He's never one to come in and say, that was great. We don't have anything to worry about, nothing to work on. Uh, he's always looking at what the team could do better. How, how can we get better? What can we do? And certainly the effort, the, the Nuggets did not play with force the other night. And, and, and that's quite frankly why they lost. I think just looking at it from what was going on in Denver, that the Nuggets were a little fat and happy after that first game. They, they just uh, swept the Lakers. They were feeling great. Uh, they beat up Miami in that game one, uh, really controlled the game the whole way. And uh, and Miami took advantage of that. Miami played with a spirit and an energy that the Nuggets did not have. So getting ready for game three, I, I expect a turnaround. You're going to see the Nuggets with their tails on fire. You're going to see 110% there. And uh, if that doesn't get the job done in game three, then maybe Miami might be the better team. Chris Marlowe, our guest, play-by-play voice of the Denver Nuggets. Chris, I've been mentioning throughout the show, 47 years is how long the fan base waited around to see this opportunity, a championship opportunity just to reach the finals. What has it been like from your seat, your vantage point, knowing there's so many diehards that have waited through uh, nearly, what, 3,780-some-odd games of regular season, and you've got... uh, 28 or 29 playoff appearances, but not much to show for it. Now you do, and and it's right there in front of them. What has it been like around the city, and specifically the fans that you know that have been there for decades? Yeah, it's been great. I've been here, this is my 19th year, so I don't go all the way back uh, through the 47 years. My partner, Scott Hastings, does. But the the city has been electric. Uh, The fans, uh, obviously, uh, Ball Arena is sold out. Uh, they're sold out on the games when they're not playing at home. They'll have a uh, a rally at the uh, at the arena. There's going to be 19,000 inside uh, while the Denver Nuggets are, are suiting up in Miami. It's great to see. It kind of happened with the Colorado Avalanche last year. Uh, you know, once this city finds something that they really like and care about, besides the Denver Broncos, uh, they are all in and. Almost wherever I go in Denver, I go to get gas and I hear someone from behind the pump say, go Nuggets. I'm in King Supers the other day and, and you know, and these two two guys, what about the Nuggets? What can they do in game three? So uh, it, it's been a wonderful ride. Uh, I think there's going to be tremendous disappointment if the Nuggets don't get to the finish line. Uh, I, I think they will. But they're going to have a much. They're going to have to have a much better effort in the upcoming games to get the job done. Does it feel like a six or seven game series to you? Well, it does now. <laughs> it yeah. does now. You know, there are a lot of uh, pundits and uh, and radio personalities, TV guys saying, "Well, maybe the Nuggets can sweep or uh, Nuggets in five. But I see it going a little bit longer now. Be interesting to see what kind of adjustments. Uh, since Miami had to make the adjustments for the last game, inserting Kevin Love into the lineup and uh, playing more zone and doing some things like that, what kind of adjustments Michael Malone makes? I, I think they'll have a different plan for the zone. Uh, I think they'll they'll try to get their three-point shooters lined up a little bit better. Uh, one thing that has hurt the Nuggets, uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope and, and uh, Michael Porter Jr., two of the best three-point shooters in the league this season, both over 40%, have not been shooting the ball well, so they're not getting the benefit uh, of those points. And, I think you may see some kind of a plan to get them loose, get them free, 
and get them going because when those two shoot the basketball, the Nuggets are almost impossible to beat. If you get MPJ with three or four, five threes and 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 KCP with the same, uh, the Nuggets usually win easily. The issue has been offense. They're not scoring as much as they did in the regular season. Chris, uh, an off-the-court uh, discussion for you, if you don't mind, because you're an expert in this field because you, you work for a regional sports network. Uh, where are we headed with all this? Not just in the NBA. Major League Baseball is, is combating this now. We're battling this back and forth. Commissioners being asked about it. Uh, I'm sure the avalanche have been affected. This isn't just a Denver thing. This is a sports fan issue. Where do you think we're headed a year from now, five years from now? What are leagues ultimately going to turn to if they can't turn to the regional sports networks? Well, that's not my real expert, uh, a field of expertise. I would just say that uh, the Denver Nuggets and the Cronkies have been trying to make a deal with Comcast to, to get this team on the air for the last four or five years. And, and Comcast, according to what I'm told, has basically refused to negotiate. And it's very disappointing when people come up to you and say, hey, we can't see the games. Uh, a majority of the people can't see the games. So uh, I'm hoping that there's some progress down the line. Uh, the commissioner was asked about it the other day at, a, uh, at an appearance. I was, I was listening in and uh, there doesn't seem to be a real clear and concrete answer on how the regionals uh, survive here and in what form. Does it go to streaming? Does it go to pay-per-view? What, what happens? So I don't really know all the particulars. I just know I wish the Nuggets uh, were on uh, full capacity TV and were being, being, being able to be seen by everybody in Denver and around the country and around the world. But right now that's not happening. But maybe if the Denver Nuggets uh, win the NBA championship their first time in 47 years, that maybe they'll be renewed vigor in the negotiations. No doubt. I think it's an it's a issue that fans for multiple outlets and markets can, can relate to. Uh, you mentioned when you're around town, around the city. Is it difficult to, to find a, a volleyball uh, challenger <laughs> in Denver? I know in the summers you go back to California, don't you? Uh, I really don't anymore. My, my, my daughters live out in California. Uh, we moved here full time in 2004 and we, we love it up here. If you can't live on the West Coast, on the beach in California, uh, Denver is the place to be. It's been raining for like three straight weeks here wow. in Denver. So there's no volleyball right now. I get out in, in the morning uh, I lift weights in my basement. I go out and walk the dog, and then we huddle up because it's right now I'm looking outside. It's a downpour in Denver. So uh, the weather has been a little questionable. Do I still like volleyball? Yes. If there was someone to uh, take me on, I would, I would, I would, uh, yeah, I would go for that. But uh, so far, we don't have many challengers. That's smart. Here. Very smart. If you just showed up at any point in your life at a, a pickup, you know, sand volleyball game at the, in the back of a bar, <laughs> How quickly could you frighten someone with your skill set with just a bunch of average Joes out playing a game of volleyball? You know what? Uh, the minute I go out there now and try to play a little volleyball, then all this rhetoric about how great I was and how I won a gold medal and we beat the Russians and we beat uh, uh, the, uh, the Brazilians and the Cubans. And there you're showing a picture of when I was in my prime on the beach. You know, I'm pretty creaky right now. I've had a, a knee replacement, a shoulder replacement, so I don't play much anymore. But uh, it's fun to think about the old times in volleyball and how well uh, the American volleyball players have done, not only on the beach, but indoors with Karch Karai leading the charge 
in 2020 in Tokyo with the women's team. So uh, volleyball still in my heart, but now I'm concentrating on basketball. I'm trying to get the Nuggets over the finish line here. So let me do that for yeah, now. No, no problem. Hey, is the gold medal behind you there on the display? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, we've been thinking about that a little bit, but the gold medal's in a safety deposit box. <laughs> okay. Uh, there was a tale. Smart there was man. a tale of two, two Olympic swimmers that went on a show like Outkick and talked about where their gold medal was. <laughs> oh, and a no. week later, their house got burgled and uh, their gold medals were stolen. So uh, I keep that uh, very tight lip where that gold medal is. But you can see the NBA Western Conference uh, uh, or NBA Finals hat. I have that back. I do see that. Me. Next to a George Carl signed basketball from the 2008 team. So uh, that's the extent of my uh, my accolades on the shelf. Hey, how is George Carl doing? I know he was in a, a scene in a, a box in one of the games. I saw him on TV. Big part of the Nuggets history, I know. What's his relationship like with the team? Uh, there is not much of a relationship with the team right now. Uh, George mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, obviously in retirement. He does a podcast. Uh a terrific coach. Uh, I worked with him for 10 years. Uh, nobody knows more about basketball than George. That being said, he's rubbed some people the wrong way over the years. And he he's on Twitter now. So he gets in Twitter battles with Carmelo Anthony and, and Kenyon Martin and some of the others. But uh, I just saw him the other day at Big Bill's. Uh, uh, and it was an old ABA reunion. He looked fine. You know, he's had battles with cancer, uh, but he's still hanging in there. Uh, I think he's 71, 72 years old, still commenting on basketball, still a voice, and uh, some real fun times when he was the coach here. Chris Marlowe has been our guest, Nuggets play-by-play -play voice. Uh, hopefully, as the uh, the series progresses, I, I just want a competitive series, but if the Nuggets cut out, come out on top or we've got some news or headlines, hopefully you'll, you'll rejoin us in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I'd be glad to. Fun being on. Same here. I appreciate you, Chris. Thank Chris, you, Chris. Marlowe there. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, smart on behalf of any challenger uh, around the Denver area. But I guess if you're challenging for volleyball in Denver, you, you, you're, you've got some swag to you, right? Well, I just couldn't imagine, you know, think about any sport that you barely play, oh. you know, but you could go play on the side with yeah. friends and family at a barbecue, and you're just out, you know, at the back of a Hooters, yeah. uh, playing <laughs> on the, that sand pit they have at the Hooters here around town. I, I wouldn't be playing, I'd be and watching it. You're playing in a league, and the guy walks up, and it's like, <laughs> Hey, you know, this guy's pretty tall. Maybe he could play. We'll, yeah. we'll see how good he is. And the first time a gold medalist <laughs> in men's volleyball just puts one right on your forehead in a game like that. And like, the okay, captain's he's the team. a little bit better than I thought. Yeah. The first jump serve you see. I mean, imagine it's, trying to bump one of those jump serves from a guy like that in his prime. It's like getting dunked on. Pre-knee and shoulder replacement, obviously. Yeah. But I love it. He's like, you're, you're seeing me here in my prime. Yeah, it but I, prime. I feel like on a basketball court, like, you kind of know. Like, all right, this guy looks like he's played some high-level basketball. Yeah. With volleyball, it could be a little bit trickier. Like, it looks like he's in shape, pretty tall, and then he just breaks your nose, uh, meet the parent style on the first spike, <laughs> and you know right away. Uh, a big thanks to Chris Good for joining dude. us. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, coming up, we uh, get into a discussion of what's possible and what's not when it comes to, um, well, whales and the ability to swallow a human. Davey Hudson has details. That's next on Hot Mics. So, Chad, I've, you know, from time to time, I will go down the YouTube wormhole, right? 
Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Hugging with Row across the Outkick Network. Hope you'll subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the like button uh, because you're about to learn something I hope that I didn't even know. So, well, I have, we're all about educating. I have not been scared of the ocean. All right. And then, like a year or two ago, someone was like, they were deathly afraid of the ocean. So, they, like, you have you not, we know you like watching these documentaries on YouTube. Go just search this out. And the stuff that is, I mean, the idea that we can reach the moon, but we haven't reached the bottom of the ocean, like the very bottom, that disturbs me. Yeah. And what is down there, we have no idea. But what we know is there is a well capable of swallowing not one, but two humans, which Davey Hudson is bringing uh, via, via Shannon Sharpie on uh, social media. Chad, this is my nightmare because if I'm vacationing with my family in Virginia Beach where they're living, I'm out on the ocean. That's where we go. And now I'm going to be constantly thinking about that image, a whale swallowing two kayakers whole. Your thoughts? By the way, they survived. Yeah, they get spit back up like Jonah? I guess. Yeah, Jonah in the wet. Yeah. Um, uh, terrifying. My thoughts are, Hutton, there, you should always have a healthy respect for the ocean. I'm not saying be petrified of getting in the ocean, but just to have no thought or fear of just swimming out as far as you can and yeah. you know, roaming around. You should know, you know, there could be sharks out here. I would wait uh, out to like things. shoulder deep water on the I, I shelf. I was always more, I've, I've never been stung by one, but my thing was always like jellyfish. Yeah. Like something very yeah. practical that, you know, you're going to live through. But, oh, w watch out for jellyfish when you're out in the you know, shallow mm -hmm. ocean. Not really thinking as much about sharks, but you should be mindful of them, obviously. I think a healthy respect for the ocean is, is key. This would go beyond a healthy respect for the ocean when you see a whale swallowing. Uh, was it a raft they were on? No, it was they a kayak. Were, yeah, kayak? two kayaks. Okay. Uh, Davey, Davey, you were saying there's only one whale that... I guess it has been confirmed uh, large enough to swallow a human whole. Yeah. So in this situation, we're actually dealing with a humpback whale. They can't actually swallow a human. Their, their throat's not big enough. The only whale that scientists have been able to determine can swallow a human would be the sperm whale. Uh, it's just based off the, the size of the throat, and that's because it evolved to eat giant squid. So, uh, yes, that's, like, that's the reasoning there. Have either I of you guys watched the movie The Abyss? No. 1990s movie. Hutton, you talked about not going to the depths of the ocean. That's what it's all about. A scientific okay. team going as far as they can to see what they can find. I, I wouldn't advise what. If you're already a little freaked out <laughs> no, about well, what could be down there, I wouldn't well, watch that I mean, movie. how far have they gone down the Mariana Trench? Uh, I, I mean, know. I have no idea. I mean, you can reach. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a video on YouTube that shows you, like, how deep the ocean actually goes and what, like, what buildings and different things would fit based on the depth. And where the last human has, has been known to reach versus how deep it actually goes, it's mind-blowing to me. Like, stunning. Can we not send cameras down? <laughs> don't think like, so. Have we found the deepest part of the ocean to send like a camera down to, to where, film it? Where's James Cameron when you need him? I know. He's searching for Titanic again. But He's counting yeah, his billions. These, these kayakers were, were all right. The, the well basically just let them go. So do you get back out. in the water after that? No. No, I, I, I don't know if I, I get in the either. pool after yeah, that. I, like, I, I was kicked off a horse once, and I, I mean, I, I couldn't star in a film with Kevin Costner because I wouldn't get back on a horse. There's no, no way. No way. I mean, I, yeah. I, 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 would, I would have, yeah, I, I would maybe like put my feet in the ocean 
and let the surf wash over them? That's about uh, as far as I go. Julie McSorley is, is one of the two. Uh, she says she has learned her lesson about getting too close to feeding humpbacks. <laughs> Whales need their space, was the quote. It definitely woke me up to the realization that, you know, our place is not the feeding zone of whales. Well, this goes back to what do we watch with the Thank feeding you. of the bison? You know, when yeah. the guy got just butted, but how about struck this? by the bison. How about the guy that's just standing there paddling, watching this? Yeah, it, it the doesn't video even, doesn't go no... far enough because I want to see what he does because he starts to speed up the paddle. Kind of. When he sees it, but we not don't. Not fast enough, though. Yeah, I'm going to cut him a little slack. I think shock could be setting in when you see that right in front of you. I don't know how I'd respond to that. I'm not diving headfirst off of my paddleboard to go in and try to get them. I know that. Well, I should, I should mention this is in uh, San Luis Obispo Bay, out in California. Okay, I probably said that. Chris Marlowe territory. Let's go with it. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and probably volleyball is going on on the beach. Yeah. while humpback whales are swallowing humans whole. And the people on the beach just did the same thing as the guy on the paddleboard. Well, that happens. Shouldn't try to feed that humpback whale so close. Yeah, I wouldn't. I will. I wouldn't be able to get back in after that. No. No um, and way. Yes, idiots continue to get uh, too close to bison. There's a, a woman that's gone viral for taking selfies in Yellowstone Park, and that continues to happen, too. I mean, look how close she is, Chad, to the video here. Um, and look, they, I, she's treating us like a dog, the bison. And, and, it, and just clearly a woman that is just, she's too online. But this is a Yellowstone issue. Like she's they, too online. They are this trying. is a huge problem right now, being too online. If you're online so much that you think things aren't real, this is the type of person you get. Yeah. Everything's virtual. Oh, it's nature. It's fine. Nothing's going to happen with this bison. Let me take a selfie with this bison. No, not even, not even that. It's not nature. It's fine. It's, oh, there's nature. Let me go take a selfie because I want to show how cool I am. Or I haven't seen this on social. I'm going to be the person that's right up next to the... Apparently, like, if you go to Yellowstone, this is like a, a, on the list of things on a checklist that you want to do. I wouldn't get close to these animals. No. At all. It also looks very annoyed, the bison, I mean. And if you take – I can just picture the caption this woman has on Instagram of the picture with the bison, and it annoys me also <laughs> because you know it's something about, look at this cutie thinking about taking him for a pet or something like that. That's the caption underneath the selfie. I don't think people realize you're gambling with your life with, with bison. It's like a hippo. Hippo is like the most dangerous animal for Look, killing humans. God gave us dominion over beast, okay? But one-on-one -on -one with no weapon, we are in peril around a beast the size of the bison <laughs> or a beast the size of the humpback whale. This is a lesson. It's a lesson in nature. Nature versus nurture. Nature will win. And this is nature. When around a beast of this size... You're going to want a weapon on you or a lot more people. So even though God gave us dominion over the beast, doesn't mean you should go to Yellowstone and take a selfie with a bison. This is a good lesson for everyone out there. Very good lesson. I hope you're taking notes. Meanwhile, the, there was a, a, a bison calf that had to be euthanized because there was a dude who went out and like picked up the calf, and then the, the mother didn't uh, accept it. It rejected the, the calf for feeding. Well, if that it smelled like a human. Yeah. Well, like that... A, if you did that with rabbits or something, that's if, what happened. If that bison would have gored her, they would have had to put him down, even has, though it was obviously no fault of its own. Has someone put down the man who did this yet? Has he been executed for this? They picked up the bison cat. PETA, I'm sure, no. is calling for the electric chair. I'm sure he had a bison burger. You know, get right Pete in this. on this. This guy needs to be... Uh, do they still have firing squads? They need to get him in front of a firing squad somewhere. This guy needs to be killed. 
That's what, that's what Pete is going to argue. I'm giving you the Pete argument. That's what the Duttons would argue. This is clearly an electric chair type of fence for touching yeah. that bison. It's not your vacation. How dare you touch that bison where it could not nurse on the mother bison. You're now dead. We are back at it tomorrow. We've got a cool event outside here at 6th and Peabody. Plus, John McClain and Michael McHenry will join us. We start at 3 o'clock Eastern for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. <laughs>